welcome back everybody at Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Jeremy Carter, what's up, man? What's up, brother? Great to have you with us, Jeremy, on your topic today, advanced tenor sax. For those of you that have been following along with these master sessions, uh, Jeremy's been with us for the ride. Uh, go to our studio resource on the uh, Clearwater Jazz website, education and outreach page, and you could check out all these past videos. Jeremy's done some really cool ones. This is a continuation of his tenor sax series. He's got a tenor sax basics course up there and intermediate sax basics and today we're going to do advanced tenor saxophone um, people participating today are muted but if you have questions use the chat feature we'll get those to jeremy and um, we just thank our sponsors and supporters for keeping this going we have a, a real treasure growing of resources on the uh, website now at uh, clearwaterjazz.com in the studio that's presented by blue water wealth management at steward partners and then if you like to listen to these sessions you can do that too on our young lions jazz master virtual sessions podcast and we also have some other kind of cool features up on the podcast now this whole historical uh, feature called stop time with frank williams which talks about the story of jazz and Frank's one-of-a-kind style, starting with the Civil War era and going all the way through modern day. And uh, speaking of history of jazz, Jeremy has been a longtime participant in Clearwater Jazz education and outreach, including our History of Jazz outreach program in the schools and our My Journey with Jazz program in neighborhood family centers. And he just happens to be one of the most sought-after saxophonists around. So, so we are happy to have him with us. He has traveled all over the place. He performs regularly. He has had several sold-out appearances to his own credit, and he is just a pleasure to have in our extended family. So, Jeremy, with that said, I'm going to turn it over to you, my friend. The stage is all yours. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Uh, hello to everybody out there in virtual land. Thanks for tuning in. Um, yeah, thanks to uh, the Clearwater Jazz Holiday for, uh, for putting all this stuff together. Uh, it really is an invaluable resource. Um, a lot of people are going through stuff. You're stuck at home. Uh, you're dealing with COVID and the pandemic and everything. So what better time than to work on your stuff? You know, you have the opportunity and you have the free time. So uh, uh, tremendous kudos out to the guys at uh, Clearwater uh, Jazz Holiday uh, for helping uh, students stay on track uh, to help professionals get and stay on track and uh, uh, further further along their uh, their musical endeavors. So big, big thanks to those guys, uh, Lee Mayberg, Frank Williams, all our partners, all the other musicians that are participating. Uh, today, we have uh, kind of the, the third part in our saxophone series. Uh, this is gonna be advanced tenor sax. Uh, where we'll, we'll explore uh, some more in-depth uh, concepts uh, as it relates to playing the tenor saxophone. But uh, we're also going to dig into some other stuff that, that uh, other musicians might find useful as well. Uh, different concepts um, that I focus on and different strategies that I picked up from, um, from other musicians along the way uh, that I respect. Uh, you know, uh, aside from work ethic, um, um, like I said, some of the theories and strategies, I'm gonna I'm gonna dig into a five part um, kind of um, a fundamental basis for everything that I do. Um, before we get into uh, some of the, the more advanced stuff, uh, I would, I, I, maybe I should just start there. Uh, and then I'll dig into it. Uh, it's, it's a great place to start. I don't know if you guys can see this, but uh, yeah, just, uh, just a little side note. I just picked up this copper neck uh, from my buddy Arnold Wang in China. Um, this is solid uh, copper, uh, hand hammered. And, uh, it's got a really, really unique 
uh, sound. It really opens up. I got an old vintage Selma Mark VI from uh, 1959 that this is still in impeccable condition. I don't know if my buddy Don Nolt is out there, but I picked it up from a good friend of mine, Don, down in Sarasota. So thanks, Don. Um, but yeah, this neck really just uh, just added. It feels like a brand new horn. to a whole new dimension in tennis sax playing. Uh, I'll talk about this a little bit more as I'm outlining, uh, you know, kind of my five-part, um, I don't even know what you want to call it, uh, a strategy or a technical basis from which to work in all settings, right? Whether you're a sax player or not. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I'll outline that, uh, my kind of philosophy, and then uh, I'll, I'll go into each individual one and maybe uh, dig into some playing and uh, kind of explain and demonstrate how all this stuff works, okay? So uh, the, the, first, the first bullet point in uh, this musical philosophy uh, or area of emphasis, I guess you could say, is rhythm. It's very common. Or, you know, it's uh, music or rhythm is something that uh, is common among people, whether you're a musician or not. You know, somebody's tapping their toe to the beat or they're dancing, you know. I always, I always like to use the food analogy, but you, you can enjoy food without being a chef. You can enjoy the rhythm of the music without being a musician, right? Uh, being uh, grounded in... Uh, Something that is fundamentally, you know, the the it's the uh, that's fundamentally musically valid, right? Um, which could be anything, you know. That's a that's a big territory. Like you could you could you could use uh, Oscar Peterson for an example, or you could use Charlie Parker for an example. Two of my heroes. Uh, in terms of their rhythmic approach, or you could look at somebody more like Sonny, like Sonny can play Sonny Rollins. I mean to say, uh, he's he's somebody who's really uh, who's capable of playing some of the most technical stuff, the most logical, harmonic and uh, melodic stuff. Um, but by nature, I think when you hear some of his best stuff, he's just, it's really really loosey goosey. You have to use some, uh, you know, some spidey powers to notate some of this stuff because it's just like so unconventional. But it's so beautiful; it's perfect in its in its uniqueness. Uh, so yeah, the first concept is rhythm. It's so important. It's not just the drummer's uh, uh, responsibility to keep track of the rhythm. You know, uh, everybody on stage has that responsibility. Uh, of being rhythmically aware or having some sense. You have to like mark out or carve out your territory rhythmically, you know, when you're playing. I don't care where, where, what it is, whether it's a blues, you know. Let me get the volume up here. You know? Like when you start the blues right there, everybody has to lock in and buy into that and interpret that more or less the same way. So I think that, uh, and like I said, this is my philosophy, whether I'm, I'm standing in the wings or I'm on stage and, uh, you know, say we're playing a traditional jazz hit and I play the head. Uh, the head will be the melody of, of, uh, of the song for, for you non-jazz cats. And say the piano player takes the first solo or the bass player takes the first solo or the drummer takes one right out, out top. If I'm waiting in the wings and I'm coming up to take the next solo, these, this philosophy is kind of what I have in mind. Along with uh, applying these things, I know I haven't gone into all of them, but I'm just like, like giving you some insight into at least my state of mind when I'm when I'm on stage and trying to be, you know, uh, a part of the ensemble. It's a really unique uh, position as a sax player, right? Because you or, or as a horn player, 
you know, because you're not always playing. The drummer is most of the time always playing. The bass player is walking out the bass line, unless there is a part of the music where it's written where they 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 fall out. Um, but as a as a horn player, you know, you have these moments where you're in and you're out, and so you you have this task of making it seem like you're always there, you know. So when you jump in. It's kind of like playing double dutch, you know, the girls, you remember when they were there out there with the two jump ropes, you know, you got to come, you got to come in at the right time or the whole thing is just going to fall apart. Right. And so that's all part of your rhythm. So I, I, I stress this point, uh, extremely, uh, I, I mean, I want to stress this point because it, it's really hip. Like if you, if you focus and really start to dissect and analyze some of your favorite players, at least for me, it's their rhythmic concept that is most striking to me. When I'm sitting there tripping about uh, uh, a Michael Brecker solo or, or Charlie, or, or, or I'm going to say Chris Potter solo, he's just a nut. Like some of his uh, figures and little harmonic cells uh, that he uses and just turns them around and metric modulates. I mean, he has a a really, really strong rhythmic uh, sense. His time feel, you know, even if he's playing um, just straight eighth notes, you know, there's a way to interpret the eighth note. You know, so if you're playing uh, eighth note, like, you know, so say this is the tempo, right? One, two, one, right? Right, you don't want to play them, or I mean, you can you can play them straight across the bar, but that's boring, that's going to get real boring if you are outlining your uh, your your lines straight like that, unless it's done deliberately, you know, for effect. If that's just your mode or your way of interpreting eighth notes, that's not really a good swing feel. You know, you kind of want to listen to some Cal Basie, you want to listen to some Duke Ellington to really get that, uh, like, uh, the staccato, you want to get that elongated, you know, kind of heavy, light, you know, you want it to be floaty, kind of like the, the wagon with the, with the, you know, with the hitch wheel on it. <laughs> I've been watching too much Teddy Atlas. I'm like describing things like, so if you, for you guys that don't know who Teddy Atlas is, he's an old boxing trainer. He has just a really colorful way of describing stuff. But, uh, yeah, you want to have a good harmonic feel. I mean, a, a good uh, rhythmic feel, I meant to say. Uh, you want to interpret the notes, you know, unevenly. You know, that's what's going to give you that really good swing feel, right? So rhythm, 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 the first concept. I know I stress it, but it's so important. It's going to make a huge difference in how you come across. Now, the next um, bullet point on my five-point philosophy is uh, is melody. And uh, I know there might be somebody out there saying that, hey, I thought this was the advanced session. It is. <laughs> you go back to basics. You, you implement the most basic principles, and I'm telling you, you'll start, like I just watched this thing recently, uh, uh, Brent from Marcellus was doing a clinic somewhere, it might have been at the inside, outside saxophone retreat or somewhere, and he's talking about uh, his uh, experience in listening. Uh, he said that he was like, he, you know, he's up in New York, he's doing all this stuff, uh, of course, you know, Brantford. Uh, was the music director for the Tonight Show and played with Sting and all these other guys. And just a phenomenal career. But at the time, he's up in New York and, uh, you know, Winton was uh, getting it, you know, he was really into whatever he was into and he got him into, you know, kind of some uh, some Louis Armstrong and some Lester Young and Sidney Bechet and some of the old guys. Now, he had heard and done all this study before, but at this particular time, this is what he was heavy into. And he was saying that when he came back to New York and was hanging out with the fellas, you know, they're just jamming and stuff, he's playing all this outside stuff. He was talking about how listening to some of the older cats 
actually encouraged a more progressive way of playing. And at the time, it's it sounded kind of you know weird, but um, I you know I've applied the practice. I just started listening to uh, all this uh, you know Illinois Jack Head and, and Lester Young and Sidney Bechet and all this stuff, and of course Louis Armstrong. And the weird thing is, when you're playing along with these old records, if you if you implement a harmonic structure that wasn't really all that hip to be using back then, you feel like a genius, you know, because <laughs> they weren't doing it right. So it's it's just, it's kind of interesting how you would think that the more complex you get, yeah, you have to be up there with a lab coat on and some beakers and some Bunsen burners and stuff. And you're in a lab, right? It's complicated. No, uh, honestly, the more you advance and the more complex the music gets, the interpretation, like all the, all the things that you have to uh, interpret as you're going through a musical experience, your best, uh, one of your best resources is your ability to reduce things to its most common form. So as you're getting into, yeah, the advanced tenor sax course, it's really gonna have a focus on some more fundamental principles that'll help you in any situation, whether you're going to try to compose a piece, whether you're soloing, whether you're playing in an ensemble, like a big band setting, and you have to blend uh, with other musicians, if you, especially if you're the lead alto, you know, and you're playing in the in the group, uh, uh, you know. But the, the same can be said for anybody in the group. So, rhythm is the first principle uh, that uh, you want to try to focus on and and, uh, and emphasize, right? The next being melody. The second point is melody. You want to make a melodic statement, even if that statement is one note. You can make a melodic statement with one note. Um, it's, it's crucially important. Like you have all these notes and all these structures just like in language, you have all these words, you know, but the words individually do not make sentences. They don't make paragraphs. They don't make books. They don't make chapters, right? The same with music, all these ideas and concepts. And music don't really make as much sense. They don't become a part of the language unless they are uh, stated melodically. Those are the sentences. Those are the word forms. Those are the musical forms that makes sense of all the stuff that we that we study, right? So melody is crucially important too. You wanna to be making a melodic statement whenever you're playing. You know, you can, uh, you can functionally, okay. So, uh, just, okay, like I can think of like an idea. Uh, <laughs> You know, you take one idea and then you kind of mutate it and you take, uh, you know, another part of it and you take it in another direction. So you, you make melodic statements, you know, the same way that you make statements verbally, you know, uh, the, the melody is crucially important. Okay, so that's the second bullet point. The third bullet point uh, that I'd like to focus on, and uh, I know this is a virtual session, I'll just take a second before I drop the third one. Um, if there's anybody out there uh, that has any questions, uh, I know we're not doing like the interactive thing here, but uh, certainly uh, drop a line uh, if you have any questions about any concept or anything that I mentioned here. Or if you want to uh, try to study uh, privately and you have some specific things that you want to try to sort out, uh, definitely drop a link or a, a line there and uh, we'll do our best to try to respond to that, uh, to answer any questions and then, you know, hopefully uh, we can 
uh, study, uh, you know, privately and focus on some things individually uh, that you may be uh, having some challenging challenges with, uh, or or you just want to uh, further along. Okay, uh, so our next bullet point uh, is harmony. All right, having a good harmonic sense is uh, is crucially important especially as a sax player, um, our responsibility and our role uh, in, in most ensembles, um, you wouldn't think that you, that uh, harmonic knowledge would be, uh, or I don't know, uh, it sounds like some people don't think the harmonic knowledge is important, but uh, it really is. To know how uh, the things that you're doing fit into uh, the structure uh, of the tune, uh, the forms, the sections, uh, little phrases within it, like how you state these melodies, uh, you know, are all are all very important. Like if you're playing, uh, uh, I mean, any tune, any song, you have to have some sense of uh, of the harmonic knowledge, and not necessarily. Uh, not only the value, like if somebody drops an F, right? Let me cut this up a little bit. You, you drop an F, right? Right? That's just one, that's first inversion. That's just one voicing, right? There's a million voicings for that chord. Right? Or you gotta... So having a good harmonic sense, like hearing those things, like that last chord, right? When you hear that, uh, you know, the, the cats that do their, have done their harmonic study right there, they know what that is. They know that even if you haven't, you can hear that. That's that, that four to one thing. That's that sus thing happening. Right? And so the more you dig into your harmonic stuff, you can hear these voices like first verse, right, second verse, and then seven nine, right, and then like a, like kind of a, a A minor over over F, right, F minor, right, a different you know different voicing, right, so. Harmonic study is 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 really important because there's so many chords. There's so many uh, 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 relative chords. You'll see a chord um, all the time. I mean, I don't know. Like, you, you, there's different ways like to to represent uh, different chordal values, right? Depending on how you want it to sound. Like, for instance, like the C major scale. You have all those modes within the within the scale, right? So you can have a harmonic value. You know that's a D minor, right? But all those notes are in the C scale. But that's not what you would play. You can't just go and play the C scale and expect it to sound right. It's you have to have the harmonic knowledge of knowing, even if you're playing the same notes. If you're not playing them the right way, then it's not hip. It's just not hip. <laughs> uh, so having a good sense of uh, of harmony uh, is a really good idea when you're when you're studying. It just makes your stuff more colorful. You know what I mean? And it's a constant. Uh, it's a constant journey. You know, it's a never-ending journey. I should say. Um, everybody is kind of looking for. Uh, uh, some greater insight into what their heroes were doing. Like the more you start to, I mean, there's still, I've, I've, I bought my first copy of the Omni book, I think in 93, 94, you know, I'm still checking that thing out. I'm still finding new stuff, you know, different ways that bird was, uh, you know, 
just uh, and, it's, and it's crazy. It was uh, outlining all these core changes. He's playing these the stuff at blistering speeds, but then you go back and look at it. It's so perfect and it's so logical. It's crazy, right? So and and all the harmonic uh, mutations that he was doing at lightning speed. You know, a lot of some stuff he had worked out. He had his licks and he had his philosophy and uh, different patterns and stuff he liked to use, but. Just to have all these things at his at his disposal was uh, was pretty phenomenal. So we covered rhythm. We talked about melody. We talked about harmonic structures, right? You got to take a you take a you take a what G flat seven. Put a C on put a C on the bottom. talked about rhythm we talked about melody we talked about different ways to uh, uh, interpret uh, harm harmonic structures and uh, we'll, we'll dig into each one of these I'll, try, I'll do some examples of each one but I just want to cover these um, um, and then and then kind of go from there um, the next bullet point we did rhythm we did melody we did harmony the next key area that I, f I find is uh, equally as important as the, re as the rest is dynamics. That's the next thing, right? What are dynamics? It's the little markings you see on the, on the page. Piano, forte, pianissimo, double forte, mezzo forte, right? And there's, there's, there's different sides to that. As a composer, you're trying to give your music, you're trying to breathe life into it. You're trying to make it feel alive. Same way that your heart races when you're watching a movie. And there's a moment of suspense create the same type of effects in music. So as a composer, that's a way of breathing life into the music. As a musician, <laughs> it's a way of giving life to the music, right? You're, you're interpreting it, right? And so your ability, your commitment and sacrifice of actually learning the piece, trying to figure out what the intentions of the of the composer were, looking at the piece in its entirety. It may not be all that, but you know, it may not be like this four or five, ten pager, right? You may have one piece, one page, right? That won't be all that hard to figure out in terms of like how the dynamic markings are structured uh, in in you know along in, in where they are in the piece. What is their intended purpose? What are they trying to accomplish by putting this dynamic marking there, okay? So dynamics are really, really important. It's not just uh, loud and soft. Uh, and one thing I forgot to mention, all these principles, once you get them, once they're stated, once they're part of your consciousness, they all kind of become one and they're intertwined, right? So you're talking about dynamics. So dynamics could be uh, a, a, also a rhythmic concept that you're focusing on simultaneously. How you're interpreting the rhythm is, is part of your dynamic interpretation. When you play one single note, it's the attack, it's the decay, it's the spill, it's the bend, it's enclosure. You know, you can use harmony as a dynamic marking. For example, I don't know, I just thought of like, uh, uh, okay, so if you're thinking about dynamics, uh, the notes attack and decay, the length of it, 
you know, the volume of it, the color of it. These are all dynamic markings, right? Put a little vibrato on it. That's a different thing. You got the, you got an attack, like a short, you got a long. Just a straight note. You add a little vibrato. Right? So there's different ways to play one single note, right? I know I played a, some other notes in there, but the focus was that one note. There's, one, there's a bunch of different ways to interpret that note. So I'm there. And I'm I'm literally thinking of like different ways to color this note to to create a variation in the vibrato. You start it off at one speed, and then you gradually slow it on and slow it down. Like you have a retardando within your within your vibrato. You know what I mean? Like that is the texture. Those are the little nuances. Those are the little things that are going to give you a really full and well-rounded and seasoned tone as a, as a sax player. These are things that are really going to take you to the next level. You're just not picking up the horn and jamming. And that's fun too. That's that's great. But <laughs> if you want to add a little texture and some seasoning and some color to your sound, these are things that you can focus on, right? You play, you start a vibrato, you play a note, start your vibrato kind of quick, and then start to slow it down as the note decays, right? say goodbye that was a tune that buster cooper always used to play down in his gigs for some reason that, that song just came to mind but you get the idea when you're playing with dynamics you there's a bunch of different things that, and with the more you do it it's just a part of your thing you're not like consciously thinking like oh i better do some dynamics now no it's something that's a part of your thing it's 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 inherent you know when you play there's a certain expectation in your head. You have that sound in your head, you know? I mean, like I said, like I'm going through one of those phases. Uh, I was talking to one of my other sax buddies. I don't know if it's because of the pandemic or, or what it is, but I usually don't, I'm not, I mean, I'm a gear dude. I'm a sax nerd, right? I study a lot of sax stuff, all about it. I'm constantly looking what's what's the new thing the new read the new ligature this that, and the other but i don't really fumble around too much like i try a, little, a lot of stuff but i just do it and i generally come back uh i, I was playing uh, the same mouthpiece for about 10 years it's playing uh it's like an older link copy old uh, you know like a florida older link copy it's made by theo wani it's this guy a model it's supposed to be like a Florida older link, but the window is larger. The chambers are slightly uh, larger than a conventional older link, and the inner side walls are scooped out. I know some people are like, what? You did a what now? 
Uh, these are just some technical terms. You got to learn about this stuff if you want to like, uh, I don't know, you don't have to, but it helps to learn some of the technical aspects of the gear uh, that you're that you're using. Not too much, to some degree, because some guys get too far into it and then they just, they're not playing anymore. They're just about the gear. But uh, yeah, it does help to, to have some technical knowledge of, 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 of the stuff that you're using. And I'll get into that in, in the final uh, section of our uh, five-point philosophy here. Um, but yeah, I was playing the same mouthpiece for a long time, sculpted, sculpted inner sidewalls, Theowani, uh, Gaia model, like an eight, like a 110. Great mouthpiece, played for 10 years. Um, Played on multiple, multiple, lots and lots of recordings, concerts, festivals, shows. I mean, it was just my main piece for a long time. Uh, and I don't know if it's because of the pandemic or what, just my, I've allowed my mind to wander a little bit. I was out there uh, looking online and, uh, yeah, I was just reading reviews and stuff like that. I just got curious. So I ordered up a few things. I got... Uh, a couple different mouthpieces, but this is the one I'm playing on right now. It's not my the, my long time uh, mouthpiece of the Odolink copy, the Gaia. This is a uh, this is a Drake. Uh, Aaron Drake makes some phenomenal mouthpieces, and I thought this one was really cool. I played on it, and uh, instantly I was like, hmm, "There's something there." So when I got my guy, I was coming off a completely different philosophy. I was playing on high baffle mouthpieces for a long time because that's just what I was doing at the time. I was doing a lot of commercial stuff, and it was just uh, it was suitable. You know, if I had to come out and hit them with the careless whisper or a little Baker Street or something like that, you know, it's I was doing that high baffle screaming stuff. So. When I first got my my last mouthpiece, the Gaia, uh, I didn't really like it at first. I thought it was stuffy and it just it didn't work out. And then I tried a few different reads on it, started to develop uh, the chamber of air necessary to create the sound I wanted, and uh, lo and behold, things started to work out. Um, uh, yeah, that's another thing when you're, uh, I, and I'll, I'll get into this really quickly uh, on, on our last uh, our last bullet point here. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I started playing on that thing and I had to make a lot of adjustments, uh, but I finally got it working. Uh, I was really, really happy. I still am. I, I love that mouthpiece. It's a great setup and I'm sure I'll play it a lot more in the future. I'm just on this right now with this ridiculous copper uh, hand hammer neck. I'm just totally stoked about it. Um, if nothing else, like me getting in some new gear, it's kept me engaged. You know, it's kind of, it's easy to just kind of uh, let things go by the wayside musically. I'm talking about in terms of your maintenance. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I have to do with the instrument. It's not always fun. <laughs> I must admit, you know, there's certain things about it. Going through your room is playing scales and things like that. I mean, it's just not always, it's, it's sometimes it's tougher than others to make it fun. And if nothing else, me kind of flirting with some, some uh, sax gear has uh, given me a reason to be engaged every day. I'm always looking for the silver lining it's to make the lemonade, right? Uh, so it's it sucks that I'm like going through a period of seemingly indecision. It's not really bad for me. I don't care, um, but um, but that can be a problem if you're just constantly fumbling around with gear and you're going through that. That can kind of be a drag. You know what I mean? Just you should just really do your best to pick a setup, find something that's gonna give you the best opportunity that that is within working means of, you know, I'm talking about it's got to be affordable, it's got to be relatively comfortable, and the only way for you to know whether that's true or not is to play a whole bunch. You don't do that by going online and buying some more stuff. 
you got to play on whatever you have right now for a while and then make a slider, maybe change the read, then maybe change the ligature, maybe change the mouthpiece, you know, to, to be able to know what changes, what effects the changes that you're making will have. That only comes from playing a lot. You have to have that fundamental base. So I'll get to the last bullet point here. Uh, so we went through rhythm. We did melody. We did harmony. We did dynamics. The last bullet point is the most important one, I feel, because all the other ones go into it. It is your sound. Your sound is the last bullet point. It's your vehicle. It's your delivery system. It's your signature, you know? When you hear John Coltrane, when you hear Sonny Rollins, when you hear Chris Potter, Michael Brecker, that was one of the things that I wanted to address with the gear thing. Yeah, I got this copper neck. I got another mouthpiece, different ligature, different reeds, all that stuff, right? It's still me. It doesn't matter eventually. You know, I spent enough time on it. I'm going to get the sound that I'm going to get out of it. Your sound is crucially important. Your rhythmic concept is irrelevant if you don't sound, if you're not articulating cleanly, uh, 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 cleanly enough to make your rhythmic concept clear. If you're an orator and you're eating marshmallows, you're not going to be a very good orator. You're not going to, you know what I mean? You can't, your sound is your delivery, your delivery system. The melodies that you're making are relevant if you don't have a sound clear enough to deliver them. Your harmonic sense is going to sound foreign, alien. If you don't have a good sound, like it's just not going to come off right, right? Your dynamics, all these things go into your sound. So, and it's crucially important. How do you do that? One of the best ways that I have found, and then if you go on any sax form and try to study sax, all the guys, they tell you, like, play long tones, long tones, sometimes facetiously. Hey, I want to work on this. I need to get some better altissimo. What should I do? And <laughs> without a doubt, there's 50 sax players that are jump on there. Long tones, Buster, right? Uh, yeah, there's some other things you can do, but it's true. You got to play long tones. It's, it's, it's hard to play notes that are sustained, that are even, that are colorful, that are interesting. You know, if you're going to paint a picture and they only give you one color, that's difficult, right? It's difficult to make a statement with one note. You got to do that. So, yes, long tools are, are, uh, are important, without a doubt. But how do you make uh, the best use out of this practice, play ballads. There's a bunch of long tones in ballads. And you get to work on your flexibility. There's all kinds of, you know, uh, harmonic and melodic structures in there. You get to kill a bunch of birds with one stone. You want to play long tones and develop your sound, play ballads. Play slow songs. That's, that's how you get it. I mean... Thank <laughs> you. 
man, just play play ballads, play slow stuff, play around with it. Outline like when you play ballads, you have to outline all the stuff yourself. There's no there's nowhere to hide. There's no you know what I mean? And the more you do it, the more comfortable it becomes. For me, uh a lot of that stuff uh, it was a labor of love. I love the Great American Songbook. You know what I mean? I'm talking about uh tools will come on and my wife will be like how do you know these like in the first couple of seconds Laura da -da 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 -da. Uh, you know what I mean or I mean what did I just you know I know all these all these tunes you know I really love like I listen to um, a lot of the old music like Charlie Parker you know definitely got me into all that just listen to all those old records Cole, all those old Cole Porter songs I get a kick out of you. I love you. Uh, it could happen to you. Um, yeah. So uh, you get a lot accomplished uh, by listening to the the old stuff, the ballads. I mean, you learn uh, about like what was harmonically popular from one time to another. You just learn about the significance of different songs and like how, how and all these contrafacts, all these songs that are uh, just interpretations of other songs, like uh, Indiana and Donna Lee, or like Coltrane taking Chi-Chi and Freight Train, right? Coltrane took uh, took Chi-Chi this bird to him. <laughs> Flanagan tune, uh, but nonetheless, it was written for for Coltrane. So yeah, I mean, the, the more you dig into all these old songs, um, you 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 really get a lot out of it. I mean, not just the old songs, but the ballads. That's where I started off with this. Playing the ballads, it, yeah, uh, man. Like I said, there's too many of them. The names, the polka dots and moonbeams. So yes, my you had a jam session. Oh, let's do a ballad, okay. What tempo are we gonna do, body and soul? I'm like, oh man, come on, in a sentimental mood. That other one that I was doing for Buster, what a beautiful melody. Every time we say goodbye. so much stuff the melodies you don't know what love is chelsea bridge oh man there's so many good ballads yeah so dig into some ballads you want to develop your sound the best way to develop your sound is to start playing play a lot of ballads next thing you know you'll be playing 
some some really some really sweet stuff. Or at least you'll have a better concept of what you want your sound to be. Because you'll like certain things and you'll maybe not really care for certain things. And then you'll go back and start to reevaluate, uh, recalibrate your intent. Like where are you putting your energies? You know, if you pick up the horn and you just want to jam, then you're going to sound like you just want to jam. You know, if you pick up the horn and you're focused, then you're going to get some work done and you'll, you'll start to see the results. So, yeah, kind of just to recap, man, we did today, we did, uh, uh, I'm hoping that uh, <laughs> somebody looked at, it, looked at this and found that it was advanced. Like I said, I know this is not an interactive virtual session, um, but if you do have any questions or if you'd like me to dig into uh, any of these uh, subject uh, subjects any further, um, yeah, please comment below, reach out uh, to Steve or myself, and uh, uh, we'll be more than happy to uh, answer any questions. Uh, but yeah, just to recap, we initially talked about rhythm and then melody right our harmonic sense you know what's going on with the chords beyond that how are they voiced you know is it one three five is it five one three you know seven seven is that a 13 seven you know how what's the voicing uh for the harmonic harmonic value shown uh, or what's the intended harmonic voicing, right? Uh, what, did, what did the composer want? Or what is the, what is most hip for what's happening in the band right now? You know, sometimes it's not even all that technically relevant, like what the voice, like you just have to find that line. You have to find the voice in the chord. Find that note that will best allow you to transfer to the next segment, the next session, or uh, section, uh, the next core change in a way that sounds hip. That, that doesn't just give the appearance that you know what you're doing, like you actually knew, yeah, I played this, I closed this note because I knew it was gonna allow me to resolve it here. You know, it's a, a lot of very logical work to be done there, just so, uh, some harmonic study. It'll it'll definitely it may seem odd at first because it's a, you know it's foreign to your ear. You may be used to hearing, you know, somebody plays you know somebody plays a two five one to B flat. You hear that? You may already you may have something in your head, right? You might already have something in your head or some fancy thing you heard. You know, some study where you go, you know, you might have something and you're used to hearing it that way. But then the more you, you know, you do some harmonic study, you look at it a different way. Like, oh man, I can go like, right? You, oh man, I could, I could do something like that. Uh, so yeah, we talked about our um, doing some harmonic study or being conscious. All the, this five-point system that I'm talking about is just a way for you to maybe stay grounded and stay relevant in this and uh, in, in in an effort to remain pure in your intent to make music. I feel as if these five things are kept in balance when you're trying to play music, it will be almost impossible to play something that is not uh, relevant or, you know, in most ways, in most terms, tangible. You can like, damn, I can, oops, I can, I can uh, feel that. Or, you know, I can hold that. You know, I can literally feel that. Uh, idea. So we talked about harmony. We also talked about uh, dynamics. Like whenever somebody's playing, a, a, you know, so whenever somebody's soloing, you know, the good mark of someone is doing something uh, that's tasty or interesting is a good mix of loud and soft, a good mix of legato and staccato you know, a good mix of complexity and simplicity. 
keeping all these things in balance, you know, your dynamics, right? Not staying static, you know, moving around a little bit. It has to have like a certain wave to it, right? Your dynamics. And then in the end, your sound, right? Your equipment, that's going to help you produce your, the sound uh, that you're looking to achieve. Um, and your sound is your signature. Uh, it's very personal. So uh, when, you're, when you're looking to develop your sound, uh, obviously you're going to listen to some of your heroes and try to, uh, you know, get a sense of what a beautiful sax sound should, should be. And then uh, do your best to, uh, to, to get to that point. So all these things, these five points, you know, if you're getting ready to go up, like, hey, any one of these things you can draw on to generate the first idea that's going to get you off and running. You know what I mean? Rhythm, melody, harmony, dynamics, and then overall, your sound. What do you sound like? Is it bright? Is it dark? You know, is it spread? Is it focused? You know, or you use a lot of staccato? Or are you more loose? You know, is, is your time feel like right on it? Or is it more free, like a Sunny Rollins, or even more so like an Ornette? You know, so all these things are, uh, are really good to think about uh, when you're going along uh, and trying to uh, work work on your stuff when you know when you get in the room and you have a piece and you're trying to interpret it uh, whether it's for your own pleasure and your own study or you're trying to complete a piece of music or compose a piece of music for class if you keep these five principles in uh, in um, in mind when you're doing it i think you you'll, you'll be on the right track like even though when you're composing you don't really you're not playing, but the sound, the ultimately what, like what the music is supposed to sound like is a part of your consciousness. It's a part of how you compose the piece, the intent for the interpreter, you know, for, for how you want the musician to interpret the music. Like all these things are a part of your consciousness and will be very obvious when you're playing. It'll be clear that you're deliberate in your efforts and that you're focused. You know, you, you're not just winging it. You're not just jamming. You know, you have something that you are consciously uh, uh, trying to execute. And yeah, I mean, when it all comes together, I mean, regardless if it is a ref genuine reflection of what you intended, it's beautiful nonetheless. The intent is all, you know, that is what uh, is to be admired most of the time. I mean, if you see like, I don't know, like young Josh Redman, I remember seeing him when I was, for the first time uh, when I was a 10th grader, uh, I was a sophomore in high school. I saw this guy, I was blown away. Just in, I didn't know anything about technically. I knew he was playing a lot of stuff, but he was just blowing. He was really, really coming. Josh Redman, James Carter. I mean, these guys, they're just, wow. And then, you know, some of the Coltrane stuff, not even like the late free stuff. I mean, just the emotion and the energy displayed. The, you know, they were very deliberate and uh, whatever they were trying to communicate through the horn, you know, a lot of people are still trying to figure it out. But uh, the, the, the energy and the raw emotion was there. It's undeniable. So I think that, uh, yeah, the, 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 some of the most genuine and some of the most uh, uh, notable and uh, uh, exciting examples of like all the uh, all the stars aligning uh, musically for for these for this rare few, you know, the the upper elite of uh, you know the special ones, Coltrane, you know, Parker, Brecker, uh, Sonny Rollins, Sonny Stitt, Joe Henderson, you know, do a lot of study. I mean, do a lot of listening. You know, I mean. And, and, and do that in balance. Take in individual pieces, a little line, like, hey, what was that thing? Try to figure that out. What was that little thing in there? You know, that's all part of the language. And then just sit down and listen to a record in its entirety. 
with no analytical focus. Just listen to it and try to get something from it on, on, in a broader sense. You know, you may there may be something that you can extract from the entire experience that you would not be able to if you're like analyzing and dissecting individual passages. So, um, yeah, once again, rhythm, melody, harmony, dynamics, and your sound. It's your signature. That's what you. Uh, that's what people are gonna remember. You know, so definitely, guys, keep swinging. so much uh thanks to steve thanks for thanks to everybody that's tuning in today uh it's a uh, advanced tenor sax and uh, yeah really appreciate you guys tuning in any questions uh definitely send us an email or uh or uh, reach out you know if you want to do some uh, advanced study uh privately uh i'm available for that uh, so definitely take advantage uh, while we have this time, you know, be out there working on your stuff. Yeah, man, Jeremy, that first of all, thank you for, for leaving us all with a smile and helping us all to slow down and just take a few breaths and enjoy that music. And man, that voice, not only can we listen to your saxophone, but we can, <laughs> we, we can listen to you talk all day long and sing for that matter. But, um, but I guess most of all, thank you for believing in the work we do during the year outside of the, um, the, the, the production of the music and the festival and events and that sort of thing, because, um, we like to think that we're, you know, making us making a difference in the community and, um, particularly with young people trying to teach them about this music and, and just get them inspired to want to play music and listen to music too. So you're a big part of that. And we appreciate that. We've, we appreciate that very much. So we, we hope to have you back with us in, with these sessions in the future. So, you know, I'll be in Absolutely. touch and, um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, on behalf of the Clearwater jazz holiday foundation, we thank, uh, those of you participating today and listening or watching in the future, and we also give a big shout out to our friends at the Al Downing Tampa Bay Jazz Association who have a similar mission to preserve and celebrate this art form and to support the outreach. Uh, and, and they're a big supporter of us in this session today. So thank you, Al Downing Tampa Bay Jazz Association. And uh, for those of you that want to learn more about Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation, please go to clearwaterjazz.com and uh, read about the festival tradition and learn about the year-round education and outreach 
um, making a difference in people's lives. So, Jeremy, until we meet again, thank you, sir. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks, everybody. All right, everybody. Stay safe out there and be well and keep playing. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. This podcast series is presented by our friends at Marine Max Clearwater. To watch the video of this full session, please visit the education and outreach page at clearwaterjazz.com and click on the studio. You can also learn more about the annual Clearwater Jazz Holiday Music Festival tradition and Clearwater Jazz Holiday's year-round education and outreach at clearwaterjazz.com.